This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And uh, joining me for the 155th minute, 10 minutes to go of this movie, <laughs> 10 minutes to go of actual screen time, actually 11 minutes at the end of this, but um, uh, 10 minutes at the end, 11 minutes right now before we've watched this minute. I'm speaking to you know someone I really freaking admire, and it's exceptional that I've got to speak to a couple of really ta- like extremely talented Australian filmmakers as part of this process. Um, someone who made a film in 2016, which I think was the best Australian film of that year, and maybe is one of the best Australian films of the decade, uh, is the filmmaker I'm talking to right now because Australia doesn't make movies like this. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, there was a little film called Two Hands that came out that was a blistering, fun, entertaining as all hell uh, Australian romp crime romp and i feel like this filmmaker went you know what we don't make films like that but i have something really important to say about a little dark corner that australia is not addressing in its uh, immediate past and so this filmmaker made a tremendous film called down under which i adored and saw at the sydney film festival and i'm just so thrilled to have him on the line his latest film as stars an oscar winner lupita nyongo shot in oz i almost was a zombie extra this close like a <laughs> centimeter close from being a zombie extra um that gentleman is mr abe forsyth abe welcome one hit minute uh, look it's a great privilege to be here. How come you didn't end up as a zombie extra? What, I, what I, I had a conflict. As you know, I've got two ah, kids. Yes, <laughs> I was like, I'd, yeah, signed, I'd, no I'd signed up and I'm like, then there's something happened with the kids. I'm like, okay, I can't be a zombie extra today. That's just one step too far. <laughs> That's one step too far. But mate, thank oh, well, you so much for being a part of the show. A pleasure. Like, look, and, you know, we were just sort of touching on this very briefly and I thought, no, you know, I need to say this so everyone can hear it. I've, you know, I, I've been following this podcast pretty much from its inception and I had no... I do. When I first heard about it, when you first started doing it, I was like, how the hell would this work? But the fact that you have been able to maintain this as long as you have with two children, as well, very, very young children. <laughs> it but started when just, I only had one age. Oh, my. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing there's only 10 or 11 minutes left. Otherwise, you might, might have another one. Oh, man. But, um, but no, oh, but, man. I've just, it, the interesting thing now about actually, actually being able to be part of this because you just go. Obviously, there is there are so many different you know things you can divert into talking about you know going into any part of this movie. But the minute that you've given me yes. two, what was fascinating is I was like, I don't even know when to begin to start to talk about a movie <laughs> like this. But then the fascinating thing about just being given a minute to just 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 look like and let you you and, and literally end up analysing every single cut and and frames within these cuts as well too. And this is something that I've. I don't think I've ever really done to to the extent, you know, like I have with this now, especially just seeing it recently. And I know you were there as well, too. We were there. 35 millimeter. We missed each other. We missed each other. But what, you know, what an experience. What an experience. I was was ruminating over a couple of minutes to talk about with Abe at the time. And I saw this particular minute and it was, 
I don't know whether I don't know what was had more sound the planes at the end of this film mm-hmm. or or was the gun battle but I I felt like I don't know maybe it was you know emotionally heightened state like the the music in this particular minute that we're coming to talk about the planes mm. coming up I was like nah you know mm. Abe's a guy who's who's made a really you know a, a film that you know of his of his two directorial efforts I've seen one of them and you did not shy away from violence and I'm like there is a scene here that has a lot of emotion and a lot of emotional resonance and I'd love to chew over it with you but you're so right it's weird diverting your attention to a single minute of a film and so many people have asked is there a bad minute is there a boring minute and my guests genuinely a couple of them two of them I'm going to shout them out one was um, Tom Clift who's a great writer for Junkie um, oh yeah um, and uh, Tom, Tom doesn't actually particularly um, doesn't particularly like heat just to be brutally honest with just to be brutally honest with everyone he's, he's, what, what is it what is he what, what, what are his reasons uh, he's he just doesn't he's not a fan of um he's not a fan of the Pacino performance and so he really okay. like hangs that up and I gave him a minute it was in a drive-in and he was like oh man this is boring it's a minute in a drive-in but when he watched it he was like it was this incredible conversation that you know, he was. He started talking about how all of the all the old drive-in speaker boxes look like gravestones, and you know, it looked like a western graveyard. So it looked like something out of Sergio Leone mm-hmm. went down this great, you know, pathway. And Stephen A. Russell is another great Melbourne writer who writes oh, for no, a stack. Stephen, yeah. very, I love Stephen. Stephen's great, yeah. fantastic. And Stephen was like, "Oh, you gave me a boring minute," and then we went on an hour conversation about post-apocalyptic Lynchian imagery in that <laughs> minute. So I just think I, I genuinely think it's like when you have a portal to study. Um, and you, as a filmmaker, know better than anyone. It's like there's, there shouldn't, you know, a, a real a masterpiece um, stands up to the scrutiny of this. Um, and and I think that that's what has been really refreshing for me is like every minute there's just something in there, and there's some some portal that we get taken on, and it's it's always well, com- great. completely. And it's just you know like the image that I when when I think about the visual language of heat or what I had in my mind up until I, I've watched it, you know. Coincidentally, I've seen it twice in the last year and probably before that um, I hadn't seen it maybe in a good sort of 10, 10, 10 years or, or, or even more. And um, uh, so, you know, I had this, this, this more kind of embedded idea of what, how the film looked and sounded. And, and what was interesting then about this, this particular minute that, that you know we're talking about too there was there was things in there that really challenged my sort of uh my uh, my memory of what this movie was and then actually made me go oh shit so hang on now do i need to go back and look at the whole movie and look for these little sort of um uh these sort of threads or, or these little moments sort of elsewhere and i'm t- specifically i'm talking about just the moment um when uh when he's uh, when robert de niro kicks um or he's like hitting Kevin Gage with the um, uh, with the gun, and there's like a there's a really wide angle kind of handheld, quite violent POV shot. Yes, and certainly POV like a point of view shot like that was not something that I ever associated with with seeing in, in this movie. I don't know if there are it's sort of elsewhere, but um, and it's such a there's such one a, there's one or two, but it's something yeah, right. that he it's it's like what's so funny about heat is if you know you place it in the geography and we've got to get to the minute in a second this is my last point before we dive into it so you guys can listen to the minute we can dump into our examination is it's like at the it's that uh beautiful chrysalis of like he has 
taken traditional sort of narrative filmmaking and his style, and this is like mm. the pinnacle of that. Like it's stylistic and it's it's narrative, and mm. then as as you know, it's almost almost on an equal plateau, I would say, with the insider. But then the insider sort of has that narrative, but at the same time, the style's amped up because it's so yes. the individuals in there, um, and because it's another another movie with co leads, they both have a very unique style that is exhibited when they're on screen. So it becomes this really, you know, there's a really great tension that has happens between those two styles. And again, the sprawl and the pace of that narrative and the different number of characters as well, lots of, lots of similarities, but then you, you know, you peel into the other movies and it's just really style heavy. If it's a traditional narrative or sometimes the narrative slips away and it just gets into that, like the textures, the moods, the tones, yeah. where you are. Really that, cool. And that's the same, the same cinematographer too, isn't it? They were both Dante Spinotti. Dante did, Dante did uh, in, Insider and uh, and Heat. He, he, I think he trails yeah. off when he experiments fully with digital with collateral and whatnot. But I and think then Steon Beebe. Steon Beebe. And he, comes, and he yeah. comes back for uh, Public Enemies, I believe. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. You're right. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, he cycled. Yes, yeah, they came back around. Just, I mean, I'm kind of not a, I'm really... I, I'm, like, I'm a fan of a lot of Michael Mann stuff, but I am... Certainly, I do appreciate the stuff he's done on film more in in a, in a different way to the yes. to to the digital sort of side. And I'm someone that uses digital, um, uh, and you know, I think it can be really, uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's done. I'm, I'm much more in favour of using digital than I would be in shooting film for a multitude of reasons. Oh, but yeah, there is there is the something malle- there is a the texture. Malle- that, yeah, the malleability yeah. of d- digital these days, like and being able to tweak a shot or. You know, oh, it, just, it just even even the concept. I know it's just crazy, but like even the concept of like how many, how much money it costs to run multiple takes, and like this guy's an obsessive, you know, an obsessive, you know, quality control multiple take kind of guy. And in a pre digital world, you're just like, that's well, that's money. Why, that's money. That's money. Why, every take costs a lot. Of, it costs a lot of money though. This movie too, didn't I? Mean, I just sort of was doing a little bit of research into this beforehand. I saw 60, 60, 60 million, million, which is like in nineteen. About a hundred million money. these days, a hundred million for a crime epic, three hours. Yeah, see, I mean, the eye that's just crazy. I mean, that will, I mean, that would happen. That would happen on Netflix now, you know. But it's not going to happen on Netflix. The they anymore. wouldn't even show it to anyone, Abe. It would just. <laughs> I don't even know if it'd be edited. They'd just throw it out there, and you're like, Jesus Christ! Did this not go through a test audience or something? Or no, something? no, exactly, exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, look, the minute in question, because we have kind of briefly said it, mm-hmm. but you know. It's the death of Wangro. We are right here. We are Neil McCauley standing with his back to a viewfinder in a hotel room asking the guest, a.k.a. Mr. Jameson, who we know is Kevin Gage's indelible Wangro, is standing behind the door in a robe and and feels like this could be McCauley, feels like he's got a point in negotiation. But as we know, he's a loose end that needs to be tied up. So... I'm going to watch this along and listen along uh, with Abe and you guys are going to listen along and then Abe and I are going to come back and talk about it. He's here on 17. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me.
PD, don't move. Put your hands on your head now. With that final thud, the um, that was the thing. That, so yeah, being at the Randwick Ritz and seeing this on thirty five, um, and it was it was the, I was really impressed with the quality of the print as well. So because I'd seen Goodfellas there a couple of years earlier, and you know I had a great time watching that on thirty five as well too. But the, the the quality of the print was was pretty incredible um, for this as opposed to Goodfellas. But the sound, too, was just oh. amazing. And it was so all-encompassing in this whole last section of the movie. You realise what a um, what an assault yeah. <laughs> it just suddenly becomes, the whole, the whole uh, sort of, you know, the, the whole end of the third act. Um, and, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, a, I mean, it, it's, it's, there's, yeah, it feels like there's so much to talk about in, in this minute across everything. And, and but obviously... You- in some minutes, Abe, of this show, as you would know, that, you know, we're covering a single scene in a single space. And in this, we, we like, literally the opening second is that um, really confronting, as you said, wide-angle POV shot. It's in the same room. And then as soon as the deed is done, the reaction shots that are echoing are just creating this atmosphere. And it's, like, spiraling out of control. And the score is yeah. doing that. It's cutting to stairwell with SWATs, cutting to Evie yeah. panicked. You know, it's cutting to the the cops reacting. Um, who you know, the the guys who are surveilling Wayngrow, and obviously are, are smart enough not to walk in the door and surprise Neil McCauley with yeah. a, with a loaded gun. <laughs> At least smart enough yeah. to wait outside the door with a gun pulled to him. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, you know, it didn't exactly work out how he'd planned. But it's yeah, it's a it's a really um, it's a dizzying scene, and um, there, it really is. And there's so really, much to talk about. And there's and re- but really, I mean. Kevin Gage's performance in, in, I mean, in the entire movie is fantastic, and it was actually interesting going back and revisiting this movie and kind of going, I, I don't actually, and I've just done a bit of research before talking to you, kind of going, I just remembered him as like an actor that I'd seen in like heaps and heaps of things, but the reality is, is I, I, I've seen him very little, even though he's done a lot. It's just that I remember his performance so much from this movie. You know, it left such a such an imprint, and I think this is a really, you know, uh, a, a moment. His death, too, in particular, is a moment where you can really see what a fantastic actor he is, oh. too. Just in the little moment where, I mean, you know, the, not 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 choosing not to look up until he absolutely has to because he knows what it means. But then there's actually proper vulnerability and fear in his eyes as well too. And this has been this, this monster, you know, probably the biggest monster in the entire movie. Um, and it's just, just the, the, the moment of realization that it's, that it's all, it's all over. And, and, you know, that even the, the greatest monster can actually fear, you know, the, the inevitable in that way. It's, it's such a very, it's, it's so, it's such a small, but it also speaks volumes that 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 look that that he gives. I think I think Michael Mann has had a bit of an obsession um, with uh, since even Manhunter. Um, he read read Thomas Harris's Red Dragon and obviously loved it and wanted to adapt it. But when he was talking to Tom Noonan, who played Francis Dollarhide, um, he used uh, he used far less of the book uh, on basing that character as he did a real life character who is a serial killer in the States whose name escapes me at the moment, but just to give you the gist, he was um, 
the serial killer was abused by his mother, was like abused by his mother really badly as a child, sexually abused mm. and assaulted, and then became a serial killer. And so they use that thing. And so I think that he loves to like put a tangible spin on the monstrous. And I think that's the moment. Like he's been a wraith in this movie. That's what every time I watch him, mm. I go, his performance is like it's it's in the all-star terrifying supporting villain roles of mm. like Javier Bardem, No Country for Old Man, Daniel Kaluuya in Widows, which is another great heist movie, and he's like yeah, a straight, yeah. grade A psychopath. Like he's up there with the ledgers, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. he's just he's he's this epic villain, this epic villain, and and he gets such an unceremonious and human end, but it's so deeply sad. Like it's exactly what we need. Like we can't. He can't be the ghost that haunts our dreams. Like in this moment. I think what man gets innately because he's sort of charting the emotional trajectory of the film, but also he kind of knows that, you know, every time we're with Neil, we're on Neil's side. Like, we want to watch Neil squash this guy like a bug, and we get that, and it's just, oh, is it brutal? And just the, the, that, the, the whole, like you said, the whole transition of emotions, we've seen him do that perverse, you know, holding the gaze of his victim, making them look yes. in his eyes, and Neil, like, in this moment, for for better or worse, I suppose, gets to do the same thing. Look at me. Like, I'm yeah, not going to yeah, be yeah. satisfied in this until I look at you. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know what this is. It's, um, yeah, it really it really is an incredible performance. And like I said, too, I just, like, I've, I found it so strange now going back and looking at his CD and going, oh, wow, it is just... The, the first time I saw this movie, it, it, it left such an imprint on my mind. And you're right, it does... It does you know, sort of feel like, well, I mean, um, yeah, that character in Manhunter or, um, uh, you know, Buffalo Bill in, um, it's Ted Levine, isn't it? And yeah. Science, Science of the Lambs Science. or, you know, he has that kind of that, that presence and that sort of that, you know, just that, the look and the voice and, um, yeah. And it's like, and it's, I mean, it's also, that's that amazing thing too about just diverting for a second, but the life of, of an actor, and like I said, I mean, looking into this guy's CV, he's he's worked he's worked a lot. It's sixty nine titles, according to the uh, IMDb. And, and, but this is and in, and what's this is the devastating thing. You would notice Ridley Scott does this all the time. There's mm. a great movie, and then Ridley Scott casts everyone from it. So, like, I think everyone in Train Spotting, <laughs> every great actor, like from Chopper and Train Spotting, is in yeah, Black Hawk yeah. Down. You know, right, he, like yeah, he saw right. he's yeah. like saw a year's worth of great movies. Like, oh, all these guys are going to be in my movie. So he gets them all into Black Hawk Down. But so like, he's in GI Jane. G- so, same thing, yeah. and and so <laughs> Ridley Scott, uh, you know, does that. But also. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer and Michael Bay do it with The Rock. Like, uh, sorry, not with The Rock, with uh, Con Air. Con Air comes a couple of years later. It's got Michael T. Williams in it. It's got Kevin Gage in it. It's got it's got um, uh, Danny Trejo. Like, I watched yeah. Con Air the other night. I was just like, oh, I need to watch something that's just silly. I just said, you know, it was, it was a busy night. And I was watching it. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at all my favorite people <laughs> from, all, from the, the, my masterpiece movie that I just adore are all in this movie. And, you know, uh, bless Connie, Connie, it's kind of, I mean, like, actually, because I went on to, I went on to Kevin Gage's website just to sort of look around to. And there's a scene from Conair. So, and I remember, I mean, I remember that moment <laughs> from Conair. It's been a long time yeah. since I've seen it. But it's like, it's almost like, it, it's almost, because he has that line about, um, it's, re, it's it, it, you're the reason that we lost, you're yeah, the no. type of person that we lost Nam which is like it sounds like a line from fucking Team America or oh, something it's like God. like or a character from Team America um, <laughs> but it's um, yeah but that's just but just looking at his 
but look, I mean, the, the one thing that I can say, look, I've, you know, I've known, I mean, I've worked as an actor for a, a period of my life. My father's an actor, my ex-wife's an actor. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by actors um, and I've seen many great actors not get breaks at all. Yes. Um, and, you know, the 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 way you have to commit yourself to to, you know, to, to something that is completely out of your hands, and, and, and you know, your fate belongs to the to you know the the, the people that are going to give you a job. Um, you look at at least, I, I guess, going back and looking over at his CV, though. I mean, he's incredibly lucky to to have to have played such a pivotal role in you know what will always be one of the most important films of its time. So, I mean, that's some sort of something to take from. Look, it. Look, I think if but he I'd just be- goes and listens to any of the podcasts in one heat minute um, <laughs> that that he even glances through a scene. And I could start rattling off the minutes, but I don't want to get too nerdy on you right now. But I would just yeah, like, yeah. like the, you know, it's a shrine to him because I think almost any actor that's acting against Pacino and De Niro in any of the scenes of this movie is bringing it because these guys literally, 100%. as far as I'm concerned, have brought their best game. They've brought their best game and, you know, they're coming... This is coming into, you know, Pacino's sort of more populist filmmaking era and when he was, you know, peak Pacino and getting a lot of accolades, um, you know, probably nowhere near for the peak of his career. But De Niro, early 90s De Niro, like he made Casino in the same year. Oh, wow. Pat may he rest in peace, the wonderful Pasquale Buba, who was one of the editors on this, was like a temp editor with... Marty on Casino like yeah, right. was oh, yeah. doing some stuff there like helping he wasn't really editing Marty's got his you know his, his um, frequent collaborator there but he, he was just there so like this is the same year that they but made you know this movie it's, it's, it's really interesting though too just, just I mean talking about Pacino and De Niro for a second so this is something that I really noticed re-watching it recently on the big screen too and, and you mentioned before about Tom having issues with Pacino's p- performance. And, you know, I, I, I certainly think you can, you know, take moments of Pacino's performance in isolation and, and you know, they look hilarious and huge and, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But, but the thing is, the, 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 the brilliant thing about these two performances is, is they actually perfectly balance each other out. You, uh-huh. you do have the, you know, the reason I think Pacino's performance really works is it is equally balanced by the, you know, the, the stillness of, of what De Niro sort of does in this. And, and you know, I mean, I'm sure this has been talked about in the um, uh, the, the scene where they're playing opposite each other. It is just, it's just such a magnificent scene of just two actors, you know, totally being still and opposite and present for uh, during during that that scene. So it's like it's like that's the moment where both their energies sort of just sort of meet somewhere, you know, and 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 you know communicate with each other. But I really feel like it's not those, you know, that, that why I think the movie is brilliant is those two performances are sort of equally just so uh, identifiable and unique to the actors. And, and also what makes it so beautiful at the very end of the movie as well, too, when they're holding hands. It's, it's um, you know, it's a full... It's a full journey, and and now watching it when we're in, you know, probably in the twilight of their of their their careers, you know, looking back over the breadth of their work as well, too, it makes it this movie feel even more special. I mean, it was obviously exciting at the time to see them working opposite each other, and in that scene in particular. But now, 
yeah, it's 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 a really amazing sort of timepiece of cinema history. These two, you know, in this movie together, it's it's like the only thing that I can think of, Abe, and I totally agree with everything you said there. The only thing I can think about it is people always talk about, you know, and let's go with fighting. You know, fighters they say, oh, these guys didn't mm. meet in their prime, and the famous one, mm. you know, for everyone is like a. Um, Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather. They're like, this fight should have been five years earlier and they were both in their prime, etc. and it would have been a different fight, etc. And and I think that when you look at like Righteous Kill and these guys are in a completely different part of their career and it's a lesser filmmaker or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's okay. But it's like, this is the best ever, two of the best ever that have ever done it in American cinema at their yeah. peak. Like, there is nothing... As far as I'm concerned... They are both completely at their peak here. And whether, you know, whether you say that De Niro takes longer to taper off than Pacino does is debatable as far as I'm concerned. But it's <laughs> like, you know, these guys were in, you know, arguably one of the best American films ever together, even though they never yeah. saw each other or spoke to each other in The Godfather yeah, Part 2. Yeah. And, and they come on 21 years later and they're here and it's like, this is the, like, that, that coffee house scene. It's like, if you want to learn acting, watch that scene. Yeah, like, totally. watch, watch it, <laughs> because these guys are so in it with every gesture, with every movement, with every, you know, uh, I, you know, moving the chin, you know, or looking away, coming back. Like, it's yeah, unbelievable. Completely. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they're, they're, they're super, superhuman performances in this. I mean, and obviously working with the director, too. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much in his the peak of his career with this movie yes, as well, too. Yes. But it's like, but no, it's true. It's actors of that caliber. Um yeah, and it's especially look at what what was interesting for me because it was so like I said in the last couple of years that that I that I watched this um, or in the last year I saw it twice. Yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago at the Rambo Ritz and thirty five on the big screen, which was incredible. But I was actually on a flight. I was I found myself last year having to do a lot of flights over a, a short period of time in about sort of three to four months. I had to do sort of um, seven or eight international flights, and it was like it was really killing me because it was I was. I was stuck on the same uh, cycles on planes with just the same movies. So, yes. <laughs> um, and 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 despairing too. Also, at the fact that you know the kinds of the kinds of movies that, that we are exposed to now as well too. So, I ended up sort of going through um, uh, trying to look for kind of classic movies, but I came across Heat, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen Heat in ages, and I'll just put it on as a way of just sort of you know just drift, drifting off, just trying to drift off to sleep, and at least have something that's you know I remember as being great and it being comforting, but. But it was amazing. You know, I started watching it and then was completely. I I actually hadn't experienced the movie uh, in the way that I did in in that time, and it might have been for a, a, a number of reasons. But but yeah, I was wrecked by the end of it. I mean, I just completely transfixed by it, and that that speaks to the power even of these these actors is that you know even being able to watch it on the screen on the back of a seat, yes. it was still just as fucking powerful, if not more powerful. <laughs> I mean, because I was in a very particular state at that time than actually going and seeing it on the on the big screen, like. You know, you, you were can, locked in. You were locked yeah. in. That's a that's an amateur move I would never make. Is if I'm tired, put heat on at the beginning. Yeah. Like, it's over. <laughs> if it's if it's eleven o'clock at night, whatever time it ends in the morning. If it's one thirty in the morning, that's it. Like I'm like, yeah. oh, sorry, I can't go to bed. Well, see, I it's never. Done. I mean, I never. Yeah, I didn't have that. I didn't have that relationship with heat before. I had it with the common. I had it with Goodfellas too. It's certainly, right. and um, you know, and Shawshank Redemption is another one of those two where it's just then you could throw on a multitude of. Coen Brothers movies and I'd be exactly the same. But like this was the first time that in a time it just so happened to time out just as the plane was, was landing back home too. It was that final moment with them holding hands. And like I said, I was just just a wreck because I mean this is something too. I mean the first time I saw this movie I was 
uh, I would have been 14 years old, and I for the last I, I dropped out of school um, uh, just before I turned 16, um, uh, before Year 10 sort of started. And like the, I remember, like the, the last year before I dropped out, I mean, I just kind of I didn't I actually didn't I would go off to school, but I would then go and just watch movies. So I would, I would like wag and <laughs> yeah. go and yes. there was there used to be this great um, Asian cinema um, in the city where you could go and spend ten dollars and see three Hong Kong uh, like Jack Chan movies back to back or things like that. So that's what I would used to go and do. But I went to the Village Cinema, which is no longer there on George Street, and saw this. Yeah, you know, I would have been fourteen. Yeah, fourteen years old and. And, you know, it completely, you know, washed over me and I remember loving it. Um, and But, you know, the, the the thing I guess that I remembered more than anything was, you know, that shootout sequence, um, uh, you know, the famous sort of shootout uh, sequence after the bank robbery um, and particular moments like that. But what really struck me just watching it last year, obviously being a, a lot older than when I first saw it, was how much more I was being uh, affected by all of the, the, the emotional interplay with all of the characters, but particularly that final moment with, with um, you know, De Niro and, and, and Pacino. And, you know, Still takes the, my breath away, eh? That's I've, I've, I mean, I've, so, I've watched it an ungodly amount of times. I wish I had a view counter, like a YouTube video. <laughs> I need but one. It's, but I it's, need the, one. It's, the, it's the best confluence of epic bold filmmaking and you know from everything from you know the way he uses sound and and the close-ups and and everything and 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 then with the minutiae of just very real and and just intricately thought out and and uh performances that that are, that, that are coming from a place of truth and speaking to humanity like it's so it's just it's it's the perfect blend of the fucking you know he's really fucking mani- manipulating you as a yeah. filmmaker but yeah. in in the best possible way and it's oh, and but it's, he totally earns it I think there's yeah. someone someone uh, in a glancing way had watched had watched Heat you know this is early in a, a couple of my friends I've convinced to watch it multiple times and the first time that someone watched it was like oh that Moby song I don't know if he earns it yet. You know, I don't know if he earns God moving with those waters. And I'm like, watch it again. Like, it, like after, you know, 166 minutes of, after 166 minutes of this epic coming down to this crescendo and these guys colliding, you know, literally the fulcrum of the universe is happening, boom, right there for these two people. Yeah. Um, I think he, I think he earns it. And they went back and went, yeah, he does. Like, you yeah. know, like, okay, oh, okay, okay. okay. Okay, <laughs> hands up. Okay, I'll, I'll 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 take it. But you know, we went down we went down this tangent to talk about these guys at the peak of their careers, just the powerhouse filmmaking and the manipulation. And this guy has been pulling Kevin Gage's Wayne Grove, the guy we're mm. seeing this death scene right now. This deeply satisfying death scene one of the most satisfying deaths in this movie most of them are gruesome and horrific and this is equally horrific but it's satisfying in that way as well this guy's carrying the movie like he's 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 he's, he's like a huge part of this movie oh completely and he's is is i mean this this is a question to you because i've actually more been studying this minute in you know uh recently than looking at it all in context but um uh is is there a more graphic death than than this in terms of I mean it's quite it's quite uh, you know he's certainly letting the audience kind of really experience it and it's not it's, this is a moment that's not thrown away but is is this the most graphic death in in, there, in the movie There's you know you could argue that um, the the Bosco's Ted Levine's death uh, is possibly 
as disturbing. Oh mm. uh, yeah, that's right. Look, the, he's lying on the street and he done it. Goes into rigor mortis. Yeah, it's, he yeah. has. He, he's affected with a, what? I, like I think someone coined it. I don't know if it was me or just in the osmosis of the show. I was like, someone coined it. Like his death mask is. Again, Levine just being such a phenomenally expressive dude. Like his death mask yeah. when he goes down, that that's like a tattoo in my brain. Like that's there yeah, yeah. forever. And so I would say that that's very disturbing. It's it's very confronting to see the beginning shootout heist, whether he does the double tap on the chest and then the bang on the head, but it doesn't oh, yeah. feel like it's as close. The, I think it's the skin. The fact that you see bare skin yeah. with this gaping wound that's in his chest and he's and he's orchestrating what you know is having his last breath. Yeah. It's yes. That. And I and, and I think it's, it's that that last breath is a, is a very particular noise too. I mean this sounds like the sound of like an animal dying yes. or something like that yes. as well. It's, it's an effect of it, airway. There's something yeah. sputtering in there. It's it's and it's screeching and you're like, oh God, this is Yeah. And it's and it's also I guess in in comparison with you know the Ted Levine because yeah actually I do now really vividly remember that Ted Levine death as well too. But it's like that's that's part of that's a moment in part of a much bigger kind of thing that's happening yeah. around it but this your your all your focus is is as an audience is being you know is being made to to watch and experience this from from neil's um uh, point of view and um, i think also there's an intimacy of like you're in a robe you know a white ro- like a white yeah, robe in a quiet yeah. hotel room it's like everything screams relaxed unwound you know safety haven and yeah, you know, you've yeah. got cops across <laughs> yeah. the way from you. And I think it's all those elements that winds it up. So when I watch it again and again, the contrasts of Neil again, finding a really slick, dark suit in this moment, being there, you know, very precise. And Wayne goes like got the flowing hair and this flowing robe in this very languid and, you know, fluffy room. And he's just bang, put down. The door's kicked open. You know, it's, that's a, and I think it's and it's the same sort of terror that you know poor Van Zant gets earlier, which is like he's sitting there in his crappy oh, yeah. tracky dacks watching hockey, watching hockey, guy in yeah, LA yeah. watching hockey, and uh, and he just you know his his um, outdoor his outdoor setting gets tossed through his window, and then he gets shot unceremoniously on his on his lounge room floor. But you're you're right too. There's a lot of there's a lot of light sources in in the scene too. Kind of warm, kind of um, over picture frames and in other yes. rooms and yes. like lamps and and everything. You're right. And then obviously too the, the you know the kind of long lens, the, you know, which is a very recurring thing throughout the movie with the the lights of the you know the the city in the background as well too. It is. You're right. It is a very soft and and yeah. That's you know that's not something that I've actually really uh, thought about until you said it too. That you're being in the robe and um, I mean he's is always down but it's like but there is like he's i mean and it also you know reminds me of that that i mean uh, that that scene just just i mean it's, it's similar but i mean it's, it's kind of more full-on that scene in eastern promises that the david cronenberg oh, uh, you know tell me yes, the, the fight yes. scene in the in the bathhouse and i remember there is something uh which is very under sort of underused in films which is that that you know that you know when someone is stripped and and you know physically naked you do feel the violence that that much more it's that much more sort of palpable i guess because um uh and the bathroom scene in um eastern promises is like i don't know there's something about tiles like that's why the bathroom yeah. fight that's why the bathroom fight in um you know mission impossible fallout recently was very oh, yeah, cool because you're like yeah. Tiles, everything hurts in a bathroom. Like yeah. there's just porcelain and tiles yeah. and glass, and it's just like everything hurts. And so, Eastern Promises got it: slippery, steam, knives, tiles. Yeah. Like everything about every texture in that room. If you're in the zone in that movie, you're just feeling every single like. 
every grind and crunch. I remember the first time I saw that at the movie. I saw that twice at the movies, and and the reason I saw it went back because I don't think it's the best Cronenberg film by mm. any means. I, I really I really enjoyed it at the time. I mean, I think a history of violence for me, probably that film is like I, that's, that's, like that's a the one I saw twice. Movie. That's just yeah, the one that's, I saw twice. I couldn't shake it. Had to watch it again. Um, and this is sort of like, but the the, you know, the whole reason. I mean, I, the reason I went back and watched Eastern, Pro- Eastern Promises for the second time was I actually watched the audience during that scene <laughs> yeah. rather than actually watching that scene because it was amazing. The, the the I remember the reaction the first time I saw it, and then being able to watch an audience watch it and react to it was incredible. And it also speaks to the power of you know. Um, what you can, how you can manipulate an audience, and and how important it is, you know, sometimes uh, to show, you know, you can explicitly show something, um, and then at the same time, when it's important to to let something happen off off camera. Um, and look, you know, this. I is, think the Wango death. Just sorry, just to touch on that, because yeah. I want to jump in and say that's the other most disturbing death in this movie, and it's like I've called it, I've coined it from now on, that like the Edgar Wright cut in this movie, which is. When you see Wangro grab the prostitute, grab her face, and yeah. then he does the he does the smash cut to a a bottle top, like being snapped. It's like it's 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 a Edgar Wright slash Robert Rodriguez cut in this movie. Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, you know, but it's not played like that because in an Edgar Wright movie, like you know, Hot Fuzz is like riddled with those, right? But it's like that cut in this movie. I think you might have one in Down Under, but I'll like I'll I'll go back and think about it. But it's like there's one of those cuts that happens, but that's so so disturbing like her neck there's, snapping is him casually drinking a beer which is like after a, having watched it so many times i'm like oh my god that's so messed up which is that i mean that sort of edit as well too I mean, and i think and just just on that for a second before i say something else that's also what really makes this death that scene with the prostitute um, you that really makes you the audience actually okay with watching a death like oh, this, yeah. you know? So it's like oh, he's, yeah. and not only the scene with the prostitute, but the scene which I was really affected by actually seeing it at, on thirty five millimeter. The scene with um, the prostitute's mother, oh. um, uh, and and Al Pacino, and that whole that whole sort of that, I mean, that's such a you know epic in in, in sort of every kind of emotion, um, you know that. So there's a lot of context um, for this death, uh, which which really makes you able to, to, I guess, you know, it's great. It puts you, it puts you in Robert De Niro's perspective and, and um, makes you understand uh, from every angle why it's happening and why we should be watching it. Um, but, yeah, but that type of cut is a really interesting one. So I think there's another one, I'm, and, and I can't, I'm not sure if I'm remembering it like 100% correctly, but there's a moment in Dead Poets Society, I think, before, um, oh, what's that, what's that actor who commits suicide? Oh, um, um, is, it, is his surname Howard? Am I getting that right? He was in. He was in house. He was in house. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know, we can vamp here, and I'll. I'll Google because I can't remember his name either. But he's like the the guy that you you know him. You'll know his face. We're both racing to Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Sean something. Is it Sean something? Or is it? Robert Sean Leonard. Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah. So there's a there's and I'm trying to remember now the death that he has in that too. But there's a there's a moment where he goes to does he go to shoot himself? He does, doesn't he? He goes Something to shoot like himself. Hang on, Neil's. No one if it's Neil's death. Neil's. Neil, and I think it. 
we don't have, we don't have to put this in. But it's, it goes to it goes <laughs> to two um, guys googling yeah. and IMDb. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, it's staying goes, in. It's staying. He in. goes to pull the. He goes to pull. Yeah, keep it in. He goes. I think he goes to pull the trigger, and then it cuts to like the father waking up or something. Yes. So you don't hear the gunshot, but it's it. like cuts to, and it's a. It's more. It's more shocking because it immediately is placing you into you didn't see it you didn't see it but you're now dealing you're you're imagining you're imagining it it's it's placing it's it's placing you into the headspace of like how many times have you woken up with there's a bang and a crash in your house yeah and you don't know what the hell it is it's just a loud noise like when you're in your REM sleep it's just a loud clang and you're like oh what was that and so that that wake up moment is disturbing too but I just think those you know, making those choices, it's 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 the great one, you know, and the great example of it happens in 92 with Tarantino. It's like there were there were critics who were sure they saw someone's ear get cut off. <clears throat> like they, they swore blind that they that in Reservoir Dogs you you saw a man sawing an ear off and it's like, no, you didn't. You know what? That's <laughs> no, you that, didn't. that's okay. So this is this is this is a, just a story on that. Um, I was obsessed with seeing that movie when I, and yeah, I would have been 10 or 11 years old when, when that movie was in, you know, I was reading about it in the Sundance Film Festival and seeing that, that very particular poster, that very graphic sort of poster of, you know, all the men in their suits. And, yeah. and I was so obsessed with, with seeing that movie that when it came out on VHS, yeah, like it would have been 11. Um, my father, uh, he he got he got the movie out because you know I wouldn't shut up about like needing <laughs> to see it. He got the movie out and he watched it first, and then he sat down and we watched it together. And interestingly, that was the one scene where we got up to and he paused it, and he explained to me the reasons why he was fast forwarding through and we weren't going to watch it. And he told me what happened in it, but said this is the reason why we're not watching it. And, because he felt like, even though you don't see what happens on screen, he felt like the moment was um, yeah, it's more, using I violence. I actually think it's more powerful that he doesn't show you because it's left to your yeah. goddamn imagination and then you imagine what it is. Completely. Anyway. But interestingly, my, I think my father felt like it wasn't a responsible way of views. Even though, you know, he didn't show it, he felt like it was a moment that was glorifying violence mm. rather than actually, you know, making a sort of statement against mm. it. And, you know, I've since seen the movies, you know, a, a number of times, obviously, and watched it all the way through. But but there was something very interesting that was sort of um, sort of imparted to me at that time by my father about going, if you are going to use violence, if you are going to show something graphic or even withhold something from the audience and, and make it even more shocking, that it does have to be, it does have to be earned. And that's, that's always something. And, you know, it's all a question of tone as well, of course, too, whether you're making something which is trying to make a serious sort of statement or if you're making something that, you know, similarly, just, just to sort of counter, counter that same story, I was desperate to see Braindead, Peter Jackson's <laughs> zombie movie, which wasn't, was an influence on my, my latest movie in, in a oh. multitude of ways. Um, but that was like, he, he talked to people in the Val. He talked to the, um, uh, the the girl that was working in the box office of the Valhalla Cinema in 1992 um, to let me go and see a midnight screening of that, even though it was uh, you know, rated R, <laughs> because it was like. But he, from his That's, point of view, it was like he's a good dad, just, man. Whatever <laughs> else, he's a freaking good dad. Like to pay but that was, much he, attention and to impart some wisdom on that. You know, well, but he, with that, he just went. He was like, "But this is Monty Python. This is like, yeah. this is not realistic. This is just slapstick, but yes. with you know, sort of bucket loads of really over the top <laughs> gore, which is made very clear that it's all fun and it's like a, you know, it's a carnival ride. So there is a there is a big difference for men. You know, I feel like the same now too. With you know, I'm, I've got an eight year old son, and I'm trying to I'm trying to help sort of guide the way he views and appreciates movies. And when is the right time to show something? And 
Um, and when is the you know there's there's been an ongoing sort of uh, conversation with my son because I've got a, a big Jaws poster in uh, the, the in our apartment, and he's really desperate to see it. Um, uh, and I'm oh, sort I think a lot younger than eight, but I'm but I'm I sorry. I was just uh, going to say you and I like the '80s kids, man. My oh, mum was smoking sorry, a pack. Of, my mum was put smoking a pack of Winnie Blues every day that I was <laughs> unborn when I was in utero. Uh, I think my dad left me home. And this is the thing. This is the. I'll just give you this little insight. So your dad imparts some wisdom. My dad's like, you can't watch this. It's too disturbing. This is the guy who let me watch Pulp Fiction and only made me leave the room during the sodomy. Like, you know, like, like he's like, you can't watch American History X. I'm like, okay. They leave the house. The video's there. Yeah, I watch it. Of course, yeah. I'm gonna watch it. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Well, like, yeah, that was disturbing. Um, I was more disturbed with the rest of it as well. It wasn't just the <laughs> violence. It was like insane neo-Nazis. Like, they're not nice people. Um, so, yeah. Oh, man. So but, I, but I think but you do but you do have a response. I mean, because they're, they're just, I think, with my son, with Jaws, too, it's like I kind of go, look, it probably is. I mean, I saw it much younger than, than, than he is now. I um, mean, it really, I mean, it's still one of my oh, all-time favorite films, and that's course. something that you should, someone should definitely do what you're doing um, uh, for on that movie and just study absolutely every sort of choice in that. But um, but interestingly, I'm kind of like going with my son. I'm like, actually, no, I, I, want, I want you to watch this when you're actually old enough to appreciate that it's actually more a movie about the, the relationship between these three characters than it is about, you know, just being a scary sort of shark In, movie. Instead because, of being scary. But it's, yeah, it's one such, doesn't work without the other. It's such a wonderful, like... It's the great essay of, it's the perfect, it's 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 the it's the complete fusion of like new, a new Hollywood ethos, which is that the government is out to get you, mm. you know, and and literally the government, you know, the the in in the case of the mayor, you know, the anchor suit wearing mayor is like, I'd rather people die than not come to the town. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. literally that, like it's so <laughs> overt. It's like it's a new Hollywood movie for the first half. And then it's a monster movie romp for the second half. And it's like, yeah. and a lot of people forget, like, no, it earns its monster movie romp from not only terrifying you with the shark, the shark's not the terror. The terror is that the terror is that the town wants people there to swim and tell them that it's safe. Yes, it's yes, safe. Completely, like, completely. That's the message, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah and so yeah, if you've got a little bit, you know, older head on your shoulders. No, you know, yeah. I think perhaps you might actually get that. That's what's scary is that the, the these structures that are meant to be protecting you and looking after you are like lying to you, and so you, you can you get what? eaten <laughs> gloriously. Then, something, something that's I think is interesting on just just comparing Jaws now to Heat, which is something that I I hadn't really picked up on uh, until rewatching it both times recently is he's man is so good at actually giving you, even though, you know, the, the minute that we're sort of talking about is, is obviously one of the most, probably one of the most intense minutes in the movie because of what's happening and what we're witnessing. Um, and because of, you know, the point of the movie that we're at and where we know this story is headed as well too, we know that he's made this choice and that, that, you know, yes. to go and do this and that, that actually, you know, means the end for him. So, you know, this is such a weighted, weighted, tonally uh, heavy uh, and oppressive in, you know, in a really good way uh, because of everything it's bringing to you. But one thing that I that I really appreciated was he's he still allows for the moments of levity throughout the movie. You know, whether yeah. it's the whether it's obviously you know that great 
sequence with the television where he just takes the television from what's that character's name that he, oh that ralph he, ralph poor ralph yeah. bless ralph xander berkeley xander <laughs> berkeley who actually played wayne grow in la takedown gets demoted to ralph and uh, oh wow he gets oh really yeah he, he gets, gets devoted to being, got the guy on the to being that's ralph. like a, that's a punchline you've been ralph oh, bro <laughs> seriously you never want to be ralphed in your life and if, and if any of your friends are ever ralphed you know if you're a heat fan you know what it is you're like bro you've been ralphed you, know, but like, you, I mean, you have to be like Silent Bob in Chasing Amy and tell them that it's the Chasing Amy story. Like you have to be impart that wisdom. Look, dude, you've been Ralph. Sander Berkeley, ninety five, Michael Mann's Heat. But so he's this is this is why Mann is such a great film, filmmaker too. Is that he realizes that in order to be able to have something that tonally gets to where this movie gets to, you need those moments. You need the little releases. You need the whether it's a moment like that or. Um, so or, you know, even so we just the- talked about seeing Heat, both of us about you you saw it twice in the last year. I would say I've seen it yeah. many more times than that in the last year. But but twice I saw it at the cinema in about the last year, maybe a, a year and a bit. And I saw the 4K digital definitive edition um, uh, at Palace uh-huh. that showed it, and then I saw, saw the beautiful 35 mil. And I'm sorry, Dante Spinotti and Michael Mann, who like the digital version, the 35 mil version was transcendent. Maybe it was the audience, maybe it was everything, but it was it was something special. And I remember oh, wow. in that I remember in that Palace audience, a tighter cinema. So we saw it in like the beautiful, you know, multi multi leveled um, big theater. Um, at at, uh, at the Ritz and in mm-hmm. Palace, it was a tight room. It was more like a like a stand up comedy club than a the- you know than a traditional cinema. Right, it was very close and knit and tight. And Pacino, the, the people who accuse his performance of being big in that tight room, with that ridiculous sound, with that clarity of that picture, he was a relief. He was a reprieve. Like the tension in yeah. that room, yeah, well. it was a stacked cinema. It was packed. <laughs> And it was it was really tense, like really intense and tense in the room. And so when he was making funny at just some of these moments, it was just like, oh god, we've been given permission to laugh a couple of times in this movie, and and in in the moments that we need to. And uh, I think that goes back to what you're talking about with balance, right? And even and with you and I in the same screening watching that, I, I found you know I was having a couple of yucks at him, just throwaway lines. My favorite thing is when he answers the phone um, without actually saying hello. Like, I just want to be that guy in my life, but I'm just, I don't have the balls to be. Um, just little things like that made me chuckle. Well, that people other, laughing along. I'm just thinking, I'm, do, I'm, I'm tying all my moments to the TV, but that other moment where he kicks the television out in front of all those people so that got stopped as well too. And so, so good. But these, I am without without naming filmmakers or, or films, I, I, I the films that I tend to have, Real or the filmmakers that I tend to have real issues with are ones that don't understand that they. You can easily trick people with with having a very particular aesthetic visually and 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 all the other sort of parts that come together to making a movie. The maintaining a maintaining one kind of tone, people I think can very easily be fooled into thinking this is like uh, an important filmmaker or this is someone that really is in yes. command of what they're doing. But for me, it's the opposite. It's like you can't have – you have to earn those moments by balancing them with the other. And and I was particularly impressed watching it and really noticing it, especially on the big screen recently too. I was like, wow, yeah, this is – he's really – He's really allowing the audience those moments of levity, or, um, or even you know just in just the way they cut. I, n- I noticed in the, the first um, uh, the armored car sort of you know uh, hold up too. There's 
just the way there's little pauses and breaths in there as well too. There's a moment after yeah. that they come crashing together and there's that the, there's the that flag or whatever those things yeah. are just kind of the like, streamer like the, wafting, the, yeah, uh, wafting uh, through the and frame and let's uh, a one heat minute deep cut. I think it was episode thirteen. We have spotted that it was Easy Finance was the financier behind <laughs> behind the car lot. Um, <laughs> oh, easy shit. Finance uh, the, the Easy Finance uh, streamer flutters down and oh, it's, it, it is exactly right. Right, it's that breath. And you know, people people then marvelled at it in two thousand and eight when Christopher Nolan did it in The Dark Knight, and it was like, yeah, he, <laughs> it like he, you know, flipping a truck and just showing you some a real massive semi trailer doing a front flip Whoa, is impressive. You know what? It's impressive. But see, look, see, this is what. Well, see, you bring up you see, you bring up a filmmaker <laughs> with Christopher Nolan. Who I think is someone that does is, is much more oppressive with the way he uses. He's tone a cynic, Abe. This is the thing. <laughs> if you're going to make so Chris Nolan, so on this show, okay, so this mm. is one of the a um, um, very minor, um, a, a perhaps minor like discovery or a major discovery, but it just seemed to flutter by like you know in a very minor way. I was speaking to. Um, a terrific actor um, and and also um, a TV screenwriter, Adam Frost. Um, he's, mm-hmm. he's been an actor and writer in Castle and Extreme Movie and other things. And Adam was on a flight with Christopher Nolan before he made Insomnia. And I've always said that Insomnia is Chris Nolan's sequel to Heat. It's like, it's like you take Vincent Hanna... And Chris, Chris, Christopher Nolan doesn't get he doesn't get Michael Mann you know what what Michael Mann is ultimately doing, which is having like a guy who who will sacrifice his life but not sacrifice his morality. And so Christopher Nolan's a much more cynical guy. So like he gets a guy who instantly has sacrificed his morality. The guy who never would did. Yeah, and so wow. he loses the levity, and that, but that's his sequel. And it was really funny. He's like Adam Frost got into a conversation with you know a younger Chris Nolan, a less famous Chris Nolan, on a plane to like Canada to shoot this movie with Al Pacino, and like started talking heat facts, and like he knew that Al Pacino was meant to be you know um, you know bumping cocaine throughout the movie like a decade or two decades before that was actually public Boy, knowledge. Yeah, wow. And yeah, so right. it's like that's the Chris. That's Chris. Not like there's nothing more Chris Nolan than that. Like he loves characters who are self-deceptive, who break their morality, or you know break the codes that they're never going to want to break, and not quite sure how to do levity very well. Yeah, it's it's, it's look. Yeah. I and look and look and look. There's not to say that you know. There's not things that I, I admire about Christopher Nolan. Oh, look, as, I've got a Batman tattoo, bro. I got a Bane tattoo. It's I'm done. You know, I'm a huge. Do fan. you really? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'll show, I'll show you who it. I'll show you if we see it in person. But it's 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 like it's it's um it's wow. I, I'm I'm a huge like look. That's a whole other conversation. But 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 like I'm am I'm, I'm a huge fan. But but I totally agree with you that there's like there are tonal issues sometimes not getting like the ride look, the ride yeah. that you're on on heat is an unparalleled ride. I think that even in all of Chris Nolan's films, which are very accomplished and are like uh you know they they've got this this alchemy that he loves to set up and they have a great structure or inventive structures and manipulate mm. with temporality and are just well shot and usually have phenomenal actors and all that but stuff. I, but I'd say, so this is the thing, this is, and this is, I think a, a real difference between Nolan and man, particularly in, in, you know, analyzing hate is one thing that I am always a hundred percent aware of when, when I'm watching hate any sequence in hate whether it's an action sequence or you know it's a uh, and you know particularly this this minute that we're looking at as well too 
man is cutting from a very wide angle lens to extremely long you know lenses and 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 really sort of shifting your your perspective throughout these scenes and throughout action scenes but you've always got a sense of geography yes within that and there's always a um uh and you know nolan works you know full-time with one of like a fantastic editor australian editor um uh and but I don't have the sense of geography when I watch a Christopher no. Nolan movie. I remember specific, like I always find that I have conversations with people about Christopher Nolan uh, movies and sequences within those movies, and people will go, "Oh yeah, but what about the the sequence where this happened?" And they'll describe something, and I'll go, "Yeah, that's one shot within the entire sequence you're <laughs> yes. talking about, which is which you remember." But if you look at everything else around that, and I particularly found that with the, that, you know, that sort of famous uh, scene in the Dark Knight, that the chase, the, the the car chase with the Joker and um, everything, it's like fucking hell. The geography in that in that in the edit of that sequence is all over the fucking it's bit, place. It's it bonkers. makes it's it bonkers. makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and it's a, but it, but you know, he's assaulting you with sound and all sorts of stuff to cover up for the fact that it feels like they're just kind of working it out later there is you know the man cuts just as much as 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 nolan does within his movies but there is a there is an elegance in in the way he's communicating the deeper thematic ideas through those edits and also with the clarity of just knowing where you are and saying knowing the geography and i think that's that's a really important thing i mean you know that's why you know filmmakers like you know the coen brothers and um uh george miller and you know people like that they're very good at letting you know oh, where they, they, everything is i also have an anton chagur tattoo which will get me to there's nothing like <laughs> there's well, that no, makes up for the vain one that nothing yeah, you've got like, to balance it. <laughs> uh, there's nothing like the you know you talk about action geography and i think that man is and I think it it feeds into his his personality. Like you know, there's like seventy odd locations in this movie in the hundred day shoot. You know, it's it's a it's an on location movie. And for his characters, you know, this sort of method, this method direction that he imposes on his players, you know, he wouldn't want to put his players in a space that didn't make sense for what their characters would do. Like he's he's the guy who's mapping the exits. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he feels like. If I'm going to tell the story, then that's, you know, it's even in the opening scene with Vincent, you know, he's like, I got, you know, these characters have got two freeways, you know, you know, this is a good, this is a good spot here. This is a good spot. So like he, he maps out their escape and it's actually a potential escape. Like it's, you know, I've always said, if you don't know what Michael, if Michael Mann's not in pre-production, you know, look at any highline burglaries that have mystified you because like this guy could rob a bank or steal a safe or like, you know, like he's that good. (laughs) But talking to the Coen brothers, like you're exactly right. It's like when you know the geography of a scene, the tension is, you know, it's it's infinitely compounded. Like, I just remember that great scene with Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh looking at the map of hotel rooms in No Country for Old Man. Like, just oh, the look. map of hotel rooms where he knows and he's like, I want to go here. And just even that, it's like... And, and they're, look, and they're very, they're very, they're very different sort of, you know, filmmakers in the way they shoot, edit, and block scenes yes. man and the Khan brothers but they're they're actually doing the same thing and you know man and to just use as an example the fir- very first shot of this of this minute that we're talking about which is um the cop in the other room turning his head and yes. noticing on the television that there's um uh, you know what's going on in wayne Grow's room 
that's this that's the perfect it's a quick shot it's a long lens it's a man and standing it's a reflection it's a reflection, it's a reflection. he's looking out at the cityscape which yes. is you know it's been such a reoccurring metaphor throughout the movie and then you see the reflection he pulls focus as his head turns and then he starts to walk out of frame so there's a hell of a lot of just very like communicating a hell of a lot of story in one very simple focus pull. Yes. And that's, you know, and, and this is something about, you know, I, you know, there's, there's all sorts of criticisms I think that are very valid and can be justified um, <laughs> uh, like against a filmmaker like Michael Bay, um, but particularly, but if you go back and you look at a lot of Michael Bay's early stuff too, he had a knack of at the right moment, just kind of visually communicating something in quickly in in a cut, which is and oh, and that you look at you this, know, Michael Bay. You if you watch the this is another thing we were talking about uh, Con Air before, which is a Bruckheimer Bay. Mm. I think it's a Bay joint. I can't remember, but I know the Rock is definitely no, Michael Simon, Bay. Film. Simon, is it Simon West? Is Simon, Simon West? Simon yeah, West. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Michael Bay was the Rock, and with the Rock, it's it's like he took seventy years of people sitting in a car that's clearly not driving the car like someone being shot on a soundstage and like in the entire chase scene through san francisco in the rock he's just shaking a camera around and cutting edits zooming and doing crazy stuff and he does the same effect like seven or eight times and it's like he turns this whole chase into this big pointless farce and it's like yeah it's you know what like, I feel like you know what I feel like I should just sort of backtrack and remove me bringing Michael Bay into this <laughs> conversation <laughs> in the same way only because like it's like the the there is so much, even just the rhythm of the way he's got, um, uh, you know, uh, Neil saying, look at me and, and, you know, Wayne Grove making that ultimate choice to actually look at him before he's shot. And just mm. the way it dances between these sort of you know, mid to close up shots and, you know, out for the gunshots and then, you know, walking away. You just look at the rhythm of the edit of that. And it's, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's beautiful. I and mean, it's a really obviously ugly moment, but it's just, it. His he stuff cuts like butter. It really flows, and mm. you always know where you are. And that only comes from. And I think you're right too in terms of you know the the way he's able to sort of put the actors in these spaces. And I certainly know that from you know my experience working as an actor. I've worked with probably around forty directors um, as an actor, mainly on television in Australia. But but out of those those directors, I could count on one hand, actually not even on one complete hand, the directors <laughs> that I actually had a really amazing experience working for. And they were the ones that would do two things. I mean, they would make me feel safe and make me feel like they were in command of the story and then they knew what they wanted to what the what they wanted the audience to experience and I knew that they had my back. You know, if I knew if I had a question about something, I knew that there would be uh, an answer or at least a discussion that would help us sort of find something together. But the other thing that I noticed is you would walk onto a location and you would be aware of all the choices of why they had picked that location or why they had sort of dressed something in a certain way or or little ideas that they were throwing at you, which you could sort of then take and sort of make part of your character. And, and that's certainly the case. I mean, you know, stuff that we've been talking about with this minute too, you can see the choices of of why he's chosen to film this sequence in this way and, you know, the bathrobe and, and, and you know, the sort of the, the warm kind of, you know, the fact that there's, you know, this is a quite a cold movie in a lot of ways, but this is a warm environment which, you know, he's having his death in. It's, it's there's just, yeah, there's just always so much thought in, that's gone into absolutely everything. And that's that's where I have sort of, you know, 
issues with other filmmakers where I'm like, yeah, it just feels like you're barreling through this and working it out later and tricking us with with stuff that you're putting over the top to sort of paper over the fact that you maybe haven't done your job in the proper way before. Yeah. And, you know, certainly the Coen brothers too, I mean, they're, they're, you know, very stylistically kind of very different with the way, you know, they hold their shots a lot longer. They do. They're very specific with the way the camera moves and accentuates certain things. But but it is, they are doing the same sorts of things, you know, that, that man does. Yeah, they're, they're taking – yeah, I, I, I'm never averse to um, – speedy editing but i think exactly to your point it's where it's it's you have great you have sort of watershed moments um you, you know what they're like it's like as soon as the the paul green paul greengrass does born supremacy mm. it's like every movie after that has to look like the born supremacy and he's doing that for a very specific stylistic reason even though it's it's you know it may or may not be a bag you may um as far as that but it feels like everyone did that and then now what's great is that we've kind of almost come you know a decade later come full circle where that's like rare it's like no you're, yeah. you're clearly covering something if you're cutting too much or you're shaking the camera and it doesn't have a purpose for you know literally your you know you're strapping a camera to a stuntman and watching matt damon beat the living daylights out of him basically um then then you're not well this you, is you're, you're cheating and so i think and- and, and and I think here, the the he wants us to he wants us to see the point of you know in in the quick cut succession that we have in in this great in this great sequence is he wants us to see the fury and the and the disdain that he has for him just like smashing him up close from a POV mm. he wants us to like literally be in that position to finally get our well that's our version of our us getting the comeuppance and then exactly. he wants us to be faced with that judgment choice like you're going to pull the trigger too you're going to be standing right here with Neil as he's flaring his nostrils and he's ready to shoot um and I'm going to cut between them and I'm going to make it I'm going to make this like a you know, like a ceremony. <laughs> it's like he and, he, he made it. He, he made he was this like weird, gross snake of a character in in his previous murderous interaction that he had with that prostitute. We're gonna we're gonna plaster him out, and Neil's gonna execute him in all full beautiful widescreen for you. <laughs> it's just gonna be crazy. And just and just the perspective too of where he's putting the camera. I mean, he's putting the camera. Looking up at Neil, yes. um, you know, looking we're looking up at Neil, so we're we're kind of seeing almost what Wayne Grove is seeing, you know, before he 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 gets shot, and then you know we're going into that sort of close up of him, and then a real close up. Now now we're actually we've gone from being Wayne Grove's perspective to actually being up looking at Neil. Now we're more kind of looking Neil sort of square in the face, so yes. it's like we're actually being able to kind of really take in that moment you know personally with him and then also he he goes back to that that same close-up just before he cuts wide to the gunshots as well too so he's really there is so much thought that has gone into the camera placement the 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 choices of when to sort of put put the audience in those different perspectives and then and then you had the wider shot of him sort of you know dying it's like it's yeah i mean it is it's completely masterful it's it's I mean, and look, obviously, you know, he thought through his coverage uh, enough on the day, blocking through that scene to sort of give him everything that he needed. But it doesn't feel like any of that sort of stuff is like um, stuff that they've kind of worked out how to do later. It's, it, you know, you can tell that there's a plan behind it. Yeah, there, there, there's a plan, all right. You know, and I think even the the SWAT team streaming up, um, yeah. And I think the choice of having the score be so loud as you see Edie's reaction shot, it's like the most 
I want to say it's like it's almost like seeing inside her mind briefly because of the way that it runs past her. Like she's freaking out. Like the buildings, people are streaming out of there. I don't know if she can hear gunshots or if she's seen, you know, more of these tactical police arrive before Neil gets there or what. Yeah. But it's that that combination where the vice scripts are closing on all the or, or everything that's happening after all of this orchestration here. It's just like. I don't know if I don't know if he's going to get out of here. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he's. I don't. You know, we certainly know since the tunnel, since him taking that turn, since him pulling up here, since him saying, you know, keep the keep the car running. We know that you know hubris and this program that he's got in his head about what he needs to do may have got him. But it's just you. You know that there's just a. It's a very. It's a beautifully orchestrated tense. You know, tense death, scene, like a really tense death scene. That uh, yeah, it's nothing feels like it was left on the table. The only and now the only thing that I can sort of throw in there is like, and I don't know how many of these that, that you've picked up along the way. I certainly haven't heard any in, in episodes that, that I've listened to. But when he does beat up the cop with the um, flashlight, you, you can tell it's a rubber flashlight. I <laughs> know. Oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> I'm going to look at it. I love it. The, the, the big one is the di- the disappearing and reappearing rearview mirror, um, okay. the, uh, which is – and also, funny, funnily enough, it's the other one where um, uh, Al Pacino, Vincent Hanna, or the, the stuntman who is being a stuntman for Al Pacino, throws a – throws Henry Rollins like a much smaller stuntman for Henry Rollins and then you walk out the door and it's gigantor Henry Rollins on the ground <laughs> yeah, and you're right, like, right. wow, this is uh, this is not it. But it's like it flows. You know, this is the sucky thing about digital photography, right? Because in the 35 mil, you didn't see that. Like you didn't oh, look, you, I would, I you barely I would, and, see it. And I, look, and I wouldn't have noticed this had I not <laughs> been going back and analyzing it the way that I have been. So, so that's the thing. That that's something that I, and I don't. And, you know, I certainly this is – uh, something that you know from the the few films that I've made as well too. If there is a continuity error or a mistake, um, but the take is better, and you know the, the most important thing is communicating the performance and Does, communicating story wise. Is the take like, better? I, I, yeah. I mean, the nit, a nitpick and a foible. I'm sure. Look, I, I guarantee you on the IMDb page for Heat, there's there's a there's a laundry list of goofs. And one thing that I haven't done in this show is talk about it because so many of so, so many of those things are for me inconsequential. Like a couple They're of people completely inconsequential. Yeah, totally. Someone talked about Ashley Judd's wig. They were like, "Oh, she she her hair changes in one scene." I'm like, "I I couldn't tell you what scene that is. I've seen yeah, this yeah. movie. I've seen this movie <laughs> maybe more than any other human being except for the people who edited it." And um and and I don't. I just. It's inconsequential. And look, and to be and to be honest, the reason why I really did notice that is because just in the movie that we just finished, Little Monsters, we had an issue with a rubber shovel during oh, a fight scene. Awesome. As well. so, awesome. so, so, um, which took a little bit of correcting, digital I, digital correcting, which was one of the hardest things we actually. Oh, had to do hey, can I tell you? I just want to go to a props department to see all the rubber things that I never knew were rubber <laughs> things. Like I just like it's like semi blowing my mind here uh, but like oh my god because that mag light like he looks like he's and i suppose that's the thing with a, you know he's a stunt guy obviously but i suppose the thing with the rubble one that you look like you can really lay into them 
you know, and he's, oh, God, he's yeah. clearly oh, totally. belting this no, dude. No, he's, he's belting the shit out of this he's guy. And that's, you know, and it's as much performance from the stuntman as it is, you know, from Robert De Niro, but it's the sound as well too. And, you know, and look, that's the thing, uh, the, the, the rubber shovel incident that I'm talking about in Little Monsters, I spent, I spent a good uh, sort of eight months of post-production where it was fucking destroying me and we were only able to <laughs> we fixed it part of the way digitally but it's still a problem but you have to remember when I go you know I've seen the movie probably about a dozen times now with, a, with an audience and I have to, to sort of take in mind that there's a big difference between when you're in an edit and that's all you ever notice is the mistake yeah. but then when you're watching it with the audience you're like oh fucking no one no one's looking at the shovel at that moment they're looking no at, one at, screamed you know, at the screen like zo- zombie and like you know it's, <laughs> no, so, no, no one screamed at the screen or threw spoons at it like it was a room going, screaming yeah. you know like it's just like no one <laughs> yeah. threw sh- celebratory rubber shovels at the screen. I should um, be so lucky. Oh man, so fun. <laughs> so I should be so lucky. No, you shouldn't. You make you make you make films that make sense. The room is eighty seven percent establishing shots, and then the rest of it is just toilets. It's just garbage. Anyway, but it's but you know inspirational garbage somewhat um, <laughs> yeah, because totally. it's 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 made its own industry. Oh man. Well, look. I think that's the perfect. Uh, I think that's the perfect way. Rubber shovels, rubber, uh, yeah, r- rubber um, mag lights. Um, it's the perfect way to end, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Abe Forsyth, mate. Thank you so much for being a part of One Here Minute. Thank you so much for your support. And it's actually oh, an honor. It's an honor that you're following along, and it's really, it's really heartening to hear you say that because I, did, you know, I really admire <laughs> your work, and particularly, uh, again, I anyone who is listening to this, I know there's a sack of international listeners. If you you are definitely going to get a chance to see Little Monsters, that's going to get an international release. But if you haven't seen Abe's earlier film and you want to see you know, some kind of biting Australian satire with authenticity and not, you know, trash like Ladies in Black, um, you can watch Down Under. Um, and that's me saying that. Um, it's, um, look, and look, I, I wish that the, you know, the, the funny thing with Down Under was that, you know, it's uh, it was a very controversial movie back here in Australia for, for a number of reasons and intentionally so as well. So yes. it was meant to be provocative, but... Unfortunately, it's a movie that um, you know we hasn't hasn't had the release overseas. Um, but so it's probably only available in Australia. So I'd oh, just man. suggest that people go out and go out and torrent it if you want to see it. Um, <laughs> just got a pirate. If you want, and, like, and look, all, all of the folks who listen to this show who know me, and this has actually happened with a couple of guests. If you need me to buy you a copy and send it to you, you just reach out on the DM and we'll we'll no, make just, it work. Just go and just go and just go and pirate. I just I'd, I'd rather people see it at this point. But look, and that was the thing. I mean, like. Down down under uh, led to little monsters and for a number of different reasons so you know everything is a, everything happens for a reason everything's a, but I'm you know it is a movie I'm, I'm very proud of and, I, and and thank you very much for, for, for saying but 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 more importantly right now I mean congratulations on on seeing this through and in such a way which is um, you know I feel very privileged to be part of it and and also just to you know, I, I and you, you know what what it's like when you've got kids, and you know you, you have life changes as you as you grow up. I mean, I find it hard to to have the time to be able to sort of sit down and you know appreciate uh, movies just because of everything else I've got to sort of deal with with my life and career and everything. So to actually to know that this was coming up, to really look forward to it, to be able to go and see the movie again, but specifically to be able to really hone in on. Uh, a minute and you know a very important minute of a movie that's filled with minutes just as you know important in different ways as this one yeah it's just been a really nice it's just been a really nice reminder of of you know the power of, of filmmaking and um and you know how every detail is important 
so, every so detail, thank, mate. Thank but, you, thank you for you know for, for sort of bringing this into my life and all the, <laughs> other, all the other people that are listening. Well, that's really lovely. Again, so guys, again, if you want to follow Abe um, at Abe Forsyth on Twitter is the best place to find him. If you're all over the world and probably in America first, you're going to see Little Monsters, which is out this year, and I'm um, really looking forward to catching it when it comes down. In- Oz, um, and as this is the first probably ever in a podcast, a director telling you to torrent his first film down under <laughs> just to see it, but that's freaking awesome in my books. Um, that's sensational. Abe, thank you so much um, for everything. I really appreciate it. Guys, thank you for listening. As always, um, we're at the business end. I've got nothing more to say except um, let's just let's just break out the rubber mag lights because we've got 10 minutes to go. 